This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey friends, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids. This episode is sponsored by Prevenex. This is where I get all of my vitamins, supplements, protein powder, and vitamins for my kids. When you purchase their children's Supervites, this is what my kids take every single day. Prevenex provides a bottle of Supervites to communities who are in need of this nutrition. This is a premium quality product. It's clinically effective and they have a money back guarantee. And look, if your kids don't love the taste, you can just throw them in a smoothie. That's what I do. Two of my kids love them. They ask for them every day. Two of them don't love the taste so much, so we just throw them in their smoothies that we make every day, and that's how they get them in. It's that simple. And in those smoothies, by the way, we also use the protein powder made by Prevenex. They're Nurify Plus. We prefer the vanilla. So head over to Prevenex. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code Lindsay15, and you can save 15% off your order. All right, this is episode 22, and I'm talking with Jane Havens. SnoozeFest is a sleep consulting service that works with families all over the United States. Jane is a certified sleep consultant through the Institute of Pediatric Sleep and Parenting. Not only does Jane work with families herself to help them get their children sleeping better, she also is the founder of the Center for Pediatric Sleep Management. So she trains other sleep consultants so that they can launch their own businesses. In this episode, Jane is going to give you ideas and tips for helping your baby sleep through the night. There's not one way to do it. She has several methods. And my message and Jane's message to you all is there's a way that will work for your family, your unique family. You don't have to do it the way everybody else does it or your sister does it or your best friend does it. There's a way that you can do it that is right for you. So you're going to learn a lot in this episode. I hope it's helpful. Jane's going to come back on for an episode on toddler sleep that I'm really excited about as well. All right, friends, if you love this podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and review so that potential new listeners can find us. Thank you so much for giving this new podcast a shot and enjoy my conversation with Jane Havens. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, we have Jane Havens on the show. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, I think we're going to cover one of the most important topics any new mom wants to cover or dad. So um, Jane is the owner of Snooze Fest by Jane and also the owner of the Center for Pediatric Sleep Management. Jane, how did you get so passionate about this business of sleep for our kids? Sure. So I have two kids. They are eight and four. And um, prior to working in this field, I was actually in the catering business. Um, I used to plan big weddings and bar and bat mitzvahs and corporate holiday parties. And when my son was born eight years ago, I just realized I couldn't do that work and be around as much as I wanted to be for him. So I decided to stay home. I was a stay-at-home mom for many years, um, and when he was when he was an infant, he was a great little sleeper. Um, I think I got a little lucky in the beginning, and then right around four months, he hit that typical four-month sleep regression that happens to most babies, and he went from sleeping through the night to waking up every forty-five minutes to an hour, and. I was losing my mind. And as a first as a first time mom, I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't know how to fix it, and I was just exhausted and feeling pretty desperate. So, I took to the internet and researched all I could, and then I went to Barnes and Noble and read all the books, and I figured it out. I got him sleeping through the night again and was super proud of myself. And then all of my friends were frankly kind of jealous. So, they were asking me for help and I would help them get their kids to sleep. And 
for many years, it was really just a hobby. It was something that I continued to stay up to date on. I would just continue to read online and Facebook groups, um, you know, blogs, whatever I could get my hands on. I was always reading about infant sleep and I would just continue to help friends just as sort of a passion project. And then my daughter was born four years later and um, staying at home with her was I hate to admit this, but it was just sort of less fun than it was the first time around. Um, she was really colicky. She had some allergies. She wasn't this like happy, smiley baby that my son was. And it wasn't as fun hanging out with her all the time. And I just felt like I needed an outlet. I needed something for myself. And it wasn't it wasn't about wanting to go back to work. It was just like needing some sort of adult interaction and project. So I just brainstormed and was thinking about all the things that I could do. And I kept coming back to the sleep stuff because that's what I was already passionate about. And frankly, I was already doing it. I just wasn't doing it, you know, professionally. So I searched online, I found a certification course, took the course and got my business up and running. And that was, that was the start of it. I've kind of always been a fly by the seat of my pants parent. Um, and when my three-year-old, when my third child was born, that's when I started reading parenting books for my older kids. And then I kind of just like let things like just do whatever with the babies. But I know yeah. that there are so many parents that want to figure this out. And I guess my first question, Jane, is like every baby is so different. Um, and that's what I've seen with my four. How do you even start with someone? Sure. So I would actually argue that every baby is more similar than we parents think. I, I think that parents are different. So and yes, like, okay, babies are different, right? Like my son was really happy and smiley and easygoing. And my daughter was like a crazy baby, right? So like, yes, they are different. But they both needed to learn to fall asleep the same way, mm. right? So so teaching babies and toddlers and preschoolers and big kids, doesn't matter how old the child is, you know, everybody needs to be given an opportunity to try a new thing, right? So if a baby is being nursed to sleep or bounced to sleep, and then parents decide that they want to do it a different way. They just, they need to be given some space and some, some, a little bit of an opportunity to try. And, and that can look a lot of different ways, right? Um, it can be a really gradual process, or it can be a rip the bandaid off type process, whatever sort of works for the family. But, but babies and toddlers all need to learn the same thing, which is how to fall asleep independently. And then once they know how to fall asleep independently, they can fall back to sleep independently, um, you know, without so much support from their parents. So uh, what I will say, what I will say is that parents are the ones that are sort of different, right? Like some families come to me with a lot of anxiety around the topic of sleep training, and then other families are super comfortable with it and just want someone to guide them and, and help them through. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with newborn, like baby, baby, you know, when I bring, I remember when I brought my first son home from the hospital, um, I wanted to make sure I was doing all the things like making sure he slept enough during the day and, and whatnot. And, and as I had more kids, I thought I realized, okay, those first like two weeks, they're really just like still asleep, like literally yeah. still asleep. So yeah. when do you even start introducing any sort of rhythm and routine. And I ask that because I think sometimes, and you correct me if, if, if you think this is wrong, I think sometimes we think we have to get these routines started right at the beginning. But if the baby is like brand new and they're just waking up in the world, there's really no, no routine yet. Tell me what you, what you found. Yeah. So I think that you can establish healthy sleep habits from the earliest of days, you okay. know, uh, right away. Um, I, I don't like to work with families one-on-one -on -one until the baby's about six weeks. Okay. And, and I say that it's more about mom and dad than the baby. I think that parents need a chance to come up for air before 
putting pressure on themselves to work on anything, right? Yeah. So those those first six weeks are really, really hard. And it's just sort of survival mode. And you're frankly getting to know your baby, you're getting to understand their communication, what their different cries sound like, um, trying to understand if they're hungry, or if they have a tummy ache, or if they're just tired. And by six weeks, I think a lot of parents tend to have a better grasp on what those different sounds mean and when they are ready to eat versus when they're ready to sleep. Um, and so I, I don't like to work with families much before six weeks. But that being said, I think that there are things that you can do earlier than that at home just to like lay the foundation um, without too much pressure, just things to be conscious of, you know, if, to give you an example, um, you know, implementing a bedtime routine, right? Like there's no harm in implementing a bedtime routine from the first days home from the hospital, right? Just so that the baby understands or, or not even that the baby understands, maybe the baby understands, maybe they don't, but so that you can have a ritual and a bonding experience that is, just around the bedtime routine, right? Yeah. So when do you, okay, so then if you start working with someone around six weeks, when do you suggest parents start? Um, you like know, more formal sleep training? Yeah. As far as like the sleep, eat, play, sleep time, oh, kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I actually, so I do, um, I have like a, I call it a group chat, but it's sort of like a seminar on a really casual informal seminar on newborn sleep. And I give my top five tips for establishing healthy sleep habits from day one. And, you know, the first tip is to tank the baby up during the day as much as possible, right? Because the more a baby can eat during the daytime, the less that they'll need to eat overnight. Obviously, with a newborn baby, you're still going to be feeding them overnight, but you want to get as many of those calories in during the daytime hours. So I recommend in the beginning, you feed them, you know, at least every two to three hours during the day. Um, the second tip that I give is getting the baby onto an eat, play, sleep routine. Now, wake windows for a newborn baby are so super short. Mm -hmm. So, so the play period is almost non-existent, mm -hmm. right? So they're eating and maybe their eyes are open while they're eating or maybe they're not. And then, and then, and then the playing might just be like getting burped and, and like looking around for a few minutes. And then next thing you know, they're sleeping again. Um, it's not so much that you need to get them on this routine. It's sort of in the earliest of days, it's just looking out for those things and trying to see if you can notice the wakeful periods versus the sleepy periods and trying to align those wakeful periods right after the feed as much as possible. Um, so that's the second tip. The third tip that I always give is to have babies napping horizontally on their back mm. during the day as much as possible. And the reason for this is that if your baby is always cuddled up on your chest or in a carrier, <laughs> which I, I would never tell a parent not to do that, right? Like the whole point of having a newborn is to be able to snuggle them and to hold them and cuddle, right? But but if you want to establish healthy sleep habits and your baby's on your chest all day long, then that's where they're going to want to nap overnight too, right? Yeah, so yeah, totally. if, if you want to get your baby really sleeping flat on their back during the night, then they need to do that during the day. Um, what is my fourth? Now I'm drawing a blank on my fourth. I'm going to have to come back to that. And number five, I'm going to skip. <laughs> number five is like, give yourself a break, you know, like parenting is hard and like Rome wasn't built in a day and, you know, it will fall into place eventually, whether that be just because like time helps, right? Like as babies get older, they just like get into more of a groove, um, or because they get older and you start working on it. Right. So those are four out of my five tips and I'll come back to the, I'll think of the other one. Well, I watched probably. your video on it last night. Hold on. Here it oh, is. So you probably know. Don't fear the positive sleep associations. Oh yeah. So, so my fourth tip on healthy sleep, ha establishing healthy sleep habits for your newborn baby would be to not fear the positive sleep association. So using things like swaddles and white noise to aid your baby to realize that it's time for sleep. Babies learn very, very quickly that 
when you put them into a, a swaddle, mm-hmm. that that means it's time for nap time. And same when they hear that white noise. So I tell parents to to not worry about that. People ask me all the time, well, like, are they going to have to transition out of that? Or what happens when we have to stop using those sleep associations? Don't worry about that. If they help, then you should use them. Yeah. And I like your point about like, if you want to hold your baby and you want your baby to nap like that during the day, then then you can do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sure. If getting the the sleep thing down is very important to you, then these are great tips. And and I will say this uh, from my experience with having four kids, like I've held some of my babies way more than than others, you know, and it's I think it's it's very much has to do with the season of life I am in what else is going on in my world my fourth baby it was like well this is my last baby I'm gonna hold him all the time you know yeah I hear that all the time yeah yeah so it's kind of like if you want to do that do that but if you want to implement these things that that could help well this is great too sure and and I'm all about sort of meeting families where they are supporting them in a way that feels safe and comfortable for them you know at the end of the day there's going to come a point for most parents where they do want their children to sleep more independently, right? Mm-hmm. It gets really hard if you have like a 10-month-old baby and they're super heavy and they need to be bounced and jogged around your living room before they can get to sleep. That's really hard on everybody. So, you know, if you can lay the foundation and, and get them sleeping more independently earlier on, I think that's easier but if that doesn't work for you and your family, then that's fine too. You know, I'm, I'm all about doing what works. And, and when it doesn't work, then, then you, you make a change. And, and that's, that's, it is what it is. It's fine. Okay, so now we're going to dive into sleep training, which is a hot topic that I didn't realize was a hot topic until I had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my sister's one of these people that just sleeps with her kids always. Like, you know, just yeah. always did. And I, A, was terrified of that because I was terrified of, of um, like, what if I, he, I suffocate him, he can't breathe, you know? Totally. Um, I was so, so, so scared of that. I remember with my first, and I, I'm sure some listeners will relate to this, I, I was so anxious about SIDS and also anxious about falling asleep holding him that I remember just throwing the covers off of me in the middle of the night multiple times and you know in in that the sweaty your body is totally sweaty you're you've soaked through your shirt because you have those postpartum hormones and going where is he where is he thinking he was in the bed somewhere and my husband's like dude he's in his crib he's not in this bed um but anyway we did sleep training with our kids anywhere between six and 11 months. That's what I would say, um, okay. depending on wh- you know what was going on. I remember our second baby, he ended up getting croup right around six months. So like that delayed us by um, four weeks or something like that. So every, every situation was so different. But you, um, can you share with us like what is sleep training? Is there different ways to do it? Um, and let's just like totally get rid of the shame of not sleep training or sleep training. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So the first thing I always like to say for people who maybe don't really fully understand what sleep training is, is that sleep training and night weaning are not the same thing. I think that's really, really important to understand. Sleep training is simply teaching your baby to fall asleep independently and fall back to sleep fall asleep independently at bedtime and back to sleep independently in the middle of the night. So for example, you know, I work with families that have three, four five month old babies and, and we teach them how to fall asleep at bedtime. And then maybe they wake up once in the middle of the night to eat and then you put them back down and they get themselves to sleep and they sleep until morning. So I would still say that that baby is a sleep trained baby, but they're not night weaned. Mm, They're still eating in the middle of the night. Um, I personally don't like to use sleep training techniques to night wean. I think that like night weaning should be tackled separately. Um, But that being said, I do really pride myself on supporting families in a way that they want to be supported. So if they want to do things a different way, then, you know, nine times out of 10, like I'll just, I'll support them the way that they want to be supported as long as, you know, the pediatrician is on board and everybody agrees that, it's safe and age appropriate. Um, so 
again, sleep training is just teaching your baby or toddler or preschooler how to fall asleep and back to sleep independently. Um, I think there's a lot of shame and just like controversy around this topic because at the end of the day, there's crying involved, right? And nobody likes to hear a baby cry. Uh, that makes adults really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we parents, we sort of base our own success in like the early parenting days is like, you're the best parent if you have this happy baby that doesn't cry, right? Mm -hmm. And when when you have a baby that's crying all the time, it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong. It makes you feel like you can't, you can't help them, right? Mm -hmm. And and when when children learn a new skill, it's hard for them. So they cry because they're frustrated. And a lot of people who are sort of in the what I would describe as like the anti-sleep training camp think that it's horrible for babies to cry and that they shouldn't cry. Um, I personally think that crying is fine. Um, babies cry for all different reasons. I will give my clients some examples. I'll give them to you guys, to you and your listeners, just so that you can wrap your heads around it. You know, the couple examples that I give are, you know, sometimes maybe you're driving and there's a ton of traffic and your baby's tired and you can't drive fast enough because there's traffic and they want you to speed up so that they can get to sleep. right? Right. And they're screaming and crying in the back of the car because they're tired and they want to be sleeping and you're not driving fast enough. Right. But, but they're okay and they're safe and they're fine. They're just tired and they're trying to figure out how to get to sleep without the motion of the car. So that's the first example that I give. And another example that I give is when a baby starts, maybe a six month old baby is starting at daycare for the first time, or maybe starting with a nanny or a new nanny, or let's even change the example to be something a little closer to home. And maybe a grandparent is going to be caring for the baby when previously it was mom or dad. And this transition can be really hard on a baby. It can feel stressful for everybody in the family. And there's crying involved, right? From baby and sometimes parents too. Mm. And, you know, maybe you leave your baby in the care of grandma who is totally loving and a wonderful grandma, but like the baby just isn't super comfortable with grandma yet. And the baby spends all day crying because he misses mom, right? But mom had to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's okay because he's with grandma and grandma loves him and is taking really good care of him. And he's just adjusting to his new normal, right? And so I think that sleep training is the exact same thing. Um, it's asking a little baby to try or, or an older baby to try and do something differently. And at first that feels hard for the baby. And then they're frustrated and maybe they're even a little bit mad that mom or dad isn't coming back to help them to sleep the way that they're used to being helped to sleep. Um, but then once they figure out how to do it, all the crying stops and, and all the night waking stop pretty much because they know how to get themselves to sleep and they know how to get themselves back to sleep. So that's my bit about the crying. As far as the different methods are concerned, I'm happy to sort of go into them if, if you would like, should I, yeah, should, should we go through them? Let's go through the methods. So I use a few um, when working with infants. Um, I'll, I'll describe them from like the most quote unquote gentle. I prefer to call them gradual rather than gentle, but I think people think of gentle sleep training. So I'll use that phrase just because that's what people call it. Um, So all the way from like the most gentle to like cry it out, right? Or extinction. Um, So the most gentle sleep training technique that I use, I don't even know what it's called. I call it like just sitting or like just sit. So if a baby is used to being rocked to sleep or nursed to sleep, you just sit with them, you hold them. And and maybe you shush loudly in their ear, but you commit to doing less than whatever it is that you're used to doing. So maybe if you were rocking, then you just sit still. But maybe if you were nursing, then you rock, right? You just you change what you're doing. And Mm. you're still holding the baby. So they're still in your arms, and they're loved and comforted and cared for and supported. But they're not getting exactly what they're used to or what they want. And 
And guess what? They're still crying during this, during this process, because, you know, for a baby that only knows how to fall asleep while being bounced on a bouncy ball, if you decide to sit in the glider and just like slowly sway, like the baby's still going to be frustrated. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that would be sort of the most gentle or gradual technique that I use with my clients. Um, the next two are sort of could be used in like together or separate, um, pick up, put down and shush pat. Uh, they're sort of similar. There's one difference. So let's start with shush pat. Shush pat is like you put the baby down in their crib and just like it sounds, you shush them and you pat them. So you basically are just like committing to comforting them crib side rather than holding them and assisting them to sleep. And the idea is you shush and pat until the baby calms. You don't want to like shush them and pat them all the way to sleep, just just until they're calm. And then you pause and you wait and you see if they can get from calm to asleep. Um, so that's shush pat. And then pick up put down is very similar. The only difference is if the baby's getting really frustrated and, and louder than what you as the parent are comfortable with, then you would pick the baby up, calm them down, you know, get them back to sort of baseline and then put them back down in the crib to resume your shushing and patting. Uh, I personally find the pick up, put down method to be confusing to babies because, you know, if they're frustrated and crying because they want to be picked up and rocked to sleep and you're just patting them and they're not happy about that, then you pick them up and they immediately stop crying because they just wanted you to like do what they're used to. And then you put them back down and then they usually start crying again. So I find that it's sometimes a little bit overstimulating and ends up taking longer. But if that's how parents are most comfortable with approaching it, then of course I would support them through that process. So the next technique that I use with families is what I would call check and console, which is um, sort of as it describes, you put the, you put the baby down in their crib and and you walk away and you leave the room mm. and give and and give them an amount of time that you're comfortable with. I typically recommend about 10 minutes, but some families are only comfortable with five and some could wait 15 or 20. So, you know, let's say you're waiting 10 minutes, you leave the room. And if the baby's not even really upset, then you're just sitting there watching the monitor and biting your nails, right? And then at some point, the baby might become a little bit upset. So you would start your timer and you wait for 10 minutes. And I really always encourage parents to listen to the crying. This Mm -hmm. is the most important part. It's so important to listen. So you're listening, you're listening, you're listening. And the baby's crying pretty hard for a full 10 minutes. So then at that point, you would go in, check on them, make sure the baby hasn't spit up or doesn't have a dirty diaper, you know, wipe away any tears, give them a kiss and leave the room again. And usually when you leave the room, the baby becomes more upset, right? Because they thought that you were going to mm-hmm. pick them up and assist them to sleep and you're not, right? So usually they get pretty upset when you leave and you reset your timer for another 10 minutes. Usually in the second 10 minutes, not always, but usually uh, the baby calms down a little bit. They either stop crying completely for like a brief moment or two, or they go from that like, as I call it, the crazy cry to just a, like a mad cry, you know, it changes. Um, or maybe they transition right to the third stage of crying, which I like to call trying, where they're actually trying to get to sleep, right? Mm. So if you hear any sort of change in your baby's cry, where maybe they're making progress, then you're going to want to reset the timer for, let's say you were using 10 minutes, you reset it for another 10 minutes, and and see if they can get themselves back to sleep. If they're crazy crying for another full 10 minutes, then you would go in and do a check and basically just repeat this process as many times as necessary until the baby is asleep. And then same thing in the middle of the night, if they wake up and it's clearly not time for them to be fed, then you would, you know, set your timer and and repeat the process that you used for for bedtime. Um And then the last technique is the extinction method or what's known as cried out. And that's basically just putting your baby down, leaving the room and, and not coming back 
until it's time for a feed or until the morning. Um, most of the families that I work with, we're not using the extinction method, frankly, because if they were going to do that, they could do that. Mm. Like they don't need to pay sure. me to like sure. do that. Right. Like they can do that for free. Um, but, but there is a time and a place for it sometimes. And sometimes I'll work with a family and maybe we're doing check and console and we realize that like the checks are not helping and it's just making everything take longer and parents are more comfortable just to give their baby more space. So they end up moving towards extinction. Um, as I said before, I really don't like to use any sort of sleep training to night wean. I like to get the sleep piece under control first and make sure the baby knows how to fall asleep and fall back to sleep. I'm all about feeding a hungry baby in the middle of the night. And then, and then once the baby knows how to sleep, then we can work on reducing the night feeds. Yeah. I was thinking about the extinction thing because I'm like, that's what we've done just so everybody knows. So judge me if you want. <laughs> We've done no judgment. Not, and I know that you won't, but any, I know that it's such a hot topic. And um, as I've aged and my kids have, have gotten older and I've really paid more attention to how people view different things in parenting, I'm like, oh, wow, people like really think this is a cruel thing to do. But for all of my kids, I mean, that seemed to be what worked, and it usually took about a week or two tops, tops for two. But then it then it was done, and they slept all night, and it was beautiful. But it was it's really hard to listen to your baby cry for an extended period of time. Yeah, and I want and and did you did you use sleep train? Did you use extinction to night wean also? Because if you did, and no judgment. Like the only reason I say not to do that is because you listen to a lot of crying, which most parents can't handle. I don't know. My, my, okay. So my number three, we didn't sleep train him really until he was 11 months because we got into this routine of him uh, just getting up once. So like every night around one, I'd feed him and he'd go back to sleep. Um, but then around 11 months, I was like, he really does not need to be yeah, up done. in the middle of the night anymore. We're just feeding him to like for our own peace of mind so that we can all just go back to sleep. And so, um, and I knew that had carried on for, for a while. And, and I will say it's, it's harder. It, for me, it was harder to listen to my 11 month old cry it out than my six month old. Cause I felt like he for like sure. was saying little words here and there and he yeah. just like understood things a lot more. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, at the end of the day, like I always say, I say to my clients and I'll say to all of your listeners that Teaching your children to sleep independently, I firmly believe is something that you do for your child, not to your child, okay? Like, yes, it's hard. Nobody wants to hear their child upset for any reason. But having a child that wakes up throughout the night and that's overtired and that has bags under their eyes, like, that's not good for them either, you know? And giving them a chance to figure out a new way is 100% for their benefit. And, and they're upset, you know, most kids are upset for like 20, 30 minutes here and there. They're not crying all night long every night for two weeks, you know, um, it's not such a crazy, horrendous thing, at least in my experience. I think when sleep training is done properly, uh, I say the crying is limited and temporary. And then and then you have a child that sleeps and that can learn and grow and function. And then, and then parents are set up to function and, and best care for their children, which I think is super important too. Everybody is happier when everybody is sleeping. That's totally, that is for sure. Hey friends, a quick break here. I know there are so many listeners all over the country and the world. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I want to tell you about Indie Maven. Do you wish you could be as knowledgeable about what's happening in Indianapolis as you were before things got busy with your career, kids, family, and friends? Are you looking to get more engaged and active in your city through the best recommendations ever? Indie Maven is a community that connects women in Indianapolis and its surrounding neighborhoods through captivating and rich storytelling, crazy fun events, and best of all, an audience of highly engaged, badass women. To learn more about Indie's happenings and the trailblazing women, 
making it all happen, and to start making a difference in your community, join the Maven movement. Go to IndieMaven.com to sign up for their free newsletter, learn about upcoming events, and join their membership program for perks valued at thousands of dollars from local businesses. I am a part of Indie Maven. I love what they're doing. Make sure you go check it out, IndieMaven.com. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Jane Havens. Okay, I want to add in something on bedtime because yes. in my experience, and I'm wondering if other people have experienced this, once we got to our, our second baby, I realized, oh, he just needs to go to bed earlier. Like, I mean, six o'clock early and it felt weird and crazy, but I did that with all three of my last ones and it helped significantly it just felt so weird to put my baby down at 6 p.m especially like summertime people were over like hanging out on our back porch and I'm like hold on a second feels like the middle of the day but I'm gonna go put my baby down but they always slept better if I put them down at 6 opposed to like 7 30. It's tricky because that does work for a lot of babies um I I'm I have mixed feelings about the early bedtime because I think that some babies need it and they really thrive and and if it works for them then great I think there are other babies that are just like 11-hour sleepers, Mm. right? Not every baby is a 12-hour sleeper. Some just sleep 11 uh, or even 10 and a half. And if you have a baby that's only sleeping 10 and a half or 11 hours overnight and you're putting them to bed at 6 o'clock, then they're going to be up at 5 a.m., which is no fun for anybody. So I think it really depends on the child. But if you figured out that that's what worked for your kids, then jackpot. I'm all for doing what works. So in the evening when you're, you know, because I think everybody talks about this witching hour, how do you navigate that and figure out what is the right time for my baby? Yeah. So I think the witching hour when they're really, really young is just like a part of being a newborn. Mm. You know, Um, I, I think it's just, it's the newborn phase. When they get older, if they're still having a witching hour, then I agree bedtime's too late or they're just not napping well during the day. So like something else is going on. Um, maybe for example, if, if a six month old is losing his mind at six o'clock, is that because he only took two naps and maybe he would have been better off with three so, you know, I'm, I'm more of the camp that like, I would rather squeeze in the extra nap and put them to bed at seven, seven thirty. Mm-hmm. but, but then some babies do great with a six o'clock bedtime. So again, you have to do what works for you. Okay. And then can we talk about nap schedules and how that affects sleeping at, at bedtime? Yeah. Yeah. So this is really like age dependent. So it's hard to talk about it, um, generally, But let's just use a six-month-old baby as an example because that's an age where like, you know, some six-month-olds are on two naps and some are on three, right? So so for a six-month-old baby, if they're waking up at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, I would be proposing a a three-nap schedule. Mm. So maybe they're napping at nine and maybe at 12.30 and then a late nap at, you know, four, right? Um, and that's assuming that the baby's only napping an hour-ish for each nap. But then there are some six-month-old babies that take these monster <laughs> hour-and-a-half, two-hour naps. And if you have a six-month-old that's taking monster naps, then congratulations, and you should have your baby on two naps, and then maybe there's an earlier bedtime, right? So it really depends on what the day looks like. And I'm always telling my, my clients that you want to land the plane like for that last nap of the day so that they can make it to bedtime. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if your six month old took two naps, but that second nap is over by, you know, two 30 or three, then what do you do? You have to make it all the way to bedtime. Right. So you want to make sure that you're landing the plane so that everything lines up and they can survive the afternoon without melting down and make it to bedtime okay. And sometimes that means an extra nap. Okay. And so, you know what we'll do? We'll put this in the show notes, like tips for nap schedules um, Okay, based on months. So okay, yeah. And I actually, I have a, yeah, I have a sleep chart that I can include Perfect. if you want to include that in the show notes. Yeah, that would be great. Um, okay. Okay. And then... What about breastfed babies versus bottle-fed babies? I So I breastfed my first and I bottle-fed my last three um, with, 
yeah, with breast milk and formula. But um, yeah, I like once I started bottle feeding, you know how much you're getting, the baby's getting. And I remember with breastfeeding, yeah. I was like, I have no idea how much milk he just drank. Right. So I think that that goes back to the topic that we were discussing earlier about like whether or not sleep training and night weaning are the same thing, right? So uh, I treat sleep training and night weaning separately. I think that breastfed babies 100% can be sleep trained and taught to sleep independently. That being said, um, breastfed babies tend to take smaller feeds at a time and and get less full on a feed than than bottle fed babies do. Usually, not always, but but sometimes. Um, I also think that parents that breastfeed, parent moms that are breastfeeding, are always just a little bit more nervous about their baby being hungry mm-hmm. because of what you said. You can't see what the baby's eating. For sure. So you know, a baby that is bottle fed and drinking, you know, the recommended twenty eight to thirty two ounces of, you know breast milk in a bottle or formula in a bottle during the day, that mom can feel fairly confident that her baby is not waking super starving in the middle of the night. Whereas a breastfed baby, mom doesn't know how much the baby's eating during the day. And then her baby wakes up in the middle of the night crying pretty loudly and her mind immediately races to my baby must be hungry. So that's the reason for why I always recommend that parents teach independent sleep first so that like the parent so that baby can fall asleep and fall back to sleep independently and then you worry about ditching the calories in the middle of the night but you just want to teach those independent sleep habits first and not worry about whether or not your baby is hungry you know when when you're sleep training a breastfed baby the worst thing that gets in the way is mom's insecurity that her baby is hungry so i like to eliminate that and just feed the baby. And then we worry about night weaning later. Okay. And no guilt if you are handing a bottle to your uh, partner and they are feeding the baby. (laughs) A hundred percent. No guilt. No guilt. I'm all about ditching the mom guilt. Yeah. You know, I like with my first, I breastfed, right. And I, I was unable to breastfeed the last three and I cannot tell you the like weight that was lifted when it was like, oh, we can literally just take turns every night, yeah. you know? Um, and part of it is when you're breastfeeding, it's just easier. Like, okay, my boobs are filling up anyway. So like, <laughs> this is how we're going to do it, right? I'm going to have to pump anyway. So um, yeah, but uh, there's definitely, it's it's okay for partner to do that feeding too. Yeah, it's also really good for bonding, right? To give to give your partner a chance to get involved in the feeding process. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah. My husband would argue that with our last baby, it was too good of a thing because our number four is obsessed with him. It's like <laughs> him and dad, like they are best of friends. <laughs> That's so sweet. That's so sweet. It is. Um, so I guess something that I've never experienced and I – it just, my heart goes out to any parents that experience a super colicky baby because I just can't imagine how difficult that must be. How do you work with someone whose baby is simply just like super colicky, colicky and crying all the time? Sure. So I actually had one of those babies. My my daughter cried. We joke, but I think it was for real. She cried for 19 months, oh, like pretty much straight. So like she was always crying, um, which it's funny now, but it was not funny at mm. the time. Um, so hard. So I had one of those babies. And what I will say is that she was horribly miserable when she was awake, but she slept beautifully. Mm. She was always super happy when she was sleeping. She was fine. Um, so, and, and I've worked with a lot of families that have babies that are, I just finished up with a family that had a nine or 10 month old baby girl who was heavily medicated for reflux. And Mm. mom was always so worried that she she had this horrible reflux and she was going to throw up everywhere. And, you know, at the end of the day, we taught her how to sleep and she didn't have reflux. She was fine. This, you know, poor baby was just heavily medicated because she was so unhappy because she was so tired, you know, and, and mom thought it was reflux and, and the doctor thought it was reflux too. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, mom's fault, but you know, everybody thought this baby was sick and really she was just sleep deprived and she woke up crying, but she was crying because she was tired, not because she was in pain. So I think that a lot of the time 
parents assume that their baby's crying because they're uncomfortable. And a lot of the time they're crying because their baby's tired. So I like to eliminate that piece of the puzzle. Like let's get the baby sleeping and then we can figure out if they're really so uncomfortable or not. Um, the same sort of holds true for teething. Parents love to blame teething on uh, for everything, right? Like my baby is up all night because he's teething. But then once you sleep train them, all of a sudden they're not teething all night anymore. So um, I think it's it's really always a good idea to work on sleep. And I think a baby that's colicky or refluxy can totally learn to fall asleep independently. And and then all of a sudden, maybe they're not so colicky anymore. Or if they are, then like you're still in the same place you were just with a better sleeper. So do you recommend, and this is moving away from colic a little bit, when when you do have these changes, for instance, like when you were we were talking about like the four month regression that everybody talks about or when your baby learns to roll over or they get their legs stuck in the in the <laughs> yeah. crib, do you recommend going back to those original self-soothing um, yep. different different uh, sleep training strategies you talked about earlier? Totally. Um, all the techniques that I described earlier and you know, everything that I use with the families that I support can be used pretty much at any age, as long as the baby's in a crib. So, you know, if things slide backwards, whether that's, you know, typical developmental milestones causing the baby to regress, you know, sometimes like a little nine month old baby might learn to pull the stand in their crib and Mm -hmm. that sort of derail sleep because they can't remember how to get back down or they just think it's fun to stand up all night long. Um, you know, or maybe you travel and when you were traveling, you didn't have a crib. So the baby ends up in your bed or maybe they were sleeping in a pack and play or whatever it is. And then you get home and sleep feels hard. Um, you can always get back on track using those same techniques that you use the first time around. Just takes a little bit of time, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's always easier the second time around if if you need to work on it again. It's never quite as stressful as it feels that very first time. I think for two reasons. One, because like parents have been through it and they see the other side and they know what they know what it looks like to have success. And then also the child also has that foundation. Like they know how to sleep and they just forgot for a while that it's a thing. So you you work on it again, you practice and they get it and they're back to where they were. Well, I love the I love that you have like this um, kind of like scale of techniques, like yeah. how intense a, parent's re- a parent really wants to get. Um, some parents are more <laughs> comfortable with more crying. Some parents are uncomfortable with crying at all. So I love that you give parents the option to like, okay, we can ease into it this way. You can rip the bandaid if you want, but yeah. there are multiple ways to do this and there's not one right way or one wrong way. Absolutely. And and the truth of the matter is like we, like we touched on earlier, babies cry regardless. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish anybody that tells you there are lots of programs, I get targeted ads for this stuff, I guess, because it's my industry. But you know, there are these like no cry sleep solutions. And, you know, all these no cry gentle sleep training techniques. And that's total like bait and switch, you know, mm-hmm. babies cry, when they don't get exactly what they want in that moment, when something feels different, and not what they're used to, they cry about it and they're okay. And, and you can support them. And I really wish that there was a way to do this like super easily and super peacefully. But, but the bottom line is like babies are frustrated when, when things are done in a way that they're not used to. So even the most gentle, gradual techniques involve crying. And the difference is that parents sometimes feel more comfortable with the idea of being right there supporting their child through the process. And that I totally respect if, if that's what's more comfortable for them. Okay. So can we give everyone three to five like action, action items to implement? Say we have like some new listeners who have like an eight week old baby and they're like, how am I going to even do this? I have no idea where to start. We've, we've given lots of, lots of methods here, but what are your top three to five tips? Sure. Sure. So I guess implementing a bedtime routine, we touched on this, but we didn't really talk about it. I would say that that's number one. Um, babies are super smart and, 
and they take all of the stuff that's going on around them as communication, right? So when you implement a bedtime routine, babies very quickly realize, okay, that means next up, I'm going into the crib. So simply starting your routine with feeding at the beginning. Uh, actually, let's make this number two, but let bedtime routine is going to be number one. And I love a very quick like feed, read a book, and maybe sing a song. And that's your bedtime routine into the crib. Okay, so that that would be my number one tip. My number two tip would be to feed the baby at the beginning of your rotation. So, you know, at bedtime, rather than feeding them to sleep, you feed them before books and song and whatever else you're going to do before bed. Um, Eliminating that feed to sleep association Mm. is super, super helpful for having the baby fall asleep with less support from a parent. Even, Even rocking to sleep is a little bit better because it's just closer to Mm -hmm. not rocking, right? It's, it's closer to just going down awake. So eliminating that feed to sleep association is, I feel like so many people just put, and I did this too. So like with all four of my kids, so many people just let them fall asleep on the bottle or the boob. Yeah. And, and then my third tip I would say is just to like make a conscious effort to take a pause. Um, when you put your child down for nap or for bedtime and like they're literally upset, like they start fussing as you're lowering them into the crib, like that's just them saying like, hey, I want to be in your arms, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they're not traumatized. They're not feeling abandoned. You're literally standing right there. So, you know, tell them you love them, communicate that, that they're safe and they're okay. Give them a kiss put them down for bed and walk out and just like give a pause and listen. Because when you listen to your baby, I think it becomes very clear, you know, is something wrong? Do they need something? Or are they just frustrated that things are looking a little bit different? And when you can wait just a few minutes, um, typically you can hear that your baby is actually trying to go to sleep. They're not like screaming and yelling in panic. They're just trying to get themselves to sleep and frustrated and and then that will help you to realize that that you're on the right path and and you're going to get there. Do you ever get like haters or criticism saying like you shouldn't let your baby cry like that? Yeah, all the time. It, all the time. How do you handle that? That's hard. Yeah, it's really hard and I spend a lot of time on my Instagram in particular trying to educate my audience and whoever will listen um to, to share my side of the story. And, and my side of the story, frankly, is just that I'm supporting parents through something that they are seeking support for. Mm. I'm not, I'm not like the bed sharing police that's coming after families that are co-sleeping saying, you have to get your kids out of your bed. You have to stop nursing all night long. You have to stop this. You have to stop that. I don't care. You know, look, I, I am a firm believer of safe sleep. I think that babies should Mm -hmm. sleep alone on their backs in their crib. Okay. Like I, I am, I am pretty firm on that, but, but I don't judge families, other families for how they choose to parent their children. And if they have a toddler sleeping in their bed and, you know, up all night and they're like, you know, nursing their toddler back to sleep or, or rubbing their back back to sleep or whatever they're doing. I like, I don't care if that works for you, then you do you. And my clients come to me because they don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. They want their children to sleep independently and sleep through the night. And so I support them through meeting their goals for their children. And I guess the way that I handle the haters is I just try to show them that like every parent deserves support. And, and if you don't align with what I'm doing, then like, that's fine. And, and we should be able to like exist harmoniously separately on Instagram and on the internet, but like, we don't need to scream and yell at each other. And, and my clients are seeking my support and, I have the approval of pediatricians and therapists and and all sorts of people who know what they're talking about and and nothing that we're doing is dangerous or harmful or scary and 
and I'm just seek I'm just supporting families that want support. And and for the people that are hating on me and they don't want my support, then like that's okay. I would just ask that they stop yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone yelling? <laughs> Why is everybody yelling? I stop know. Yelling. It's so true. When we named this show, I was like, it <laughs> relates to more than parenting. Let's be honest. <laughs> totally. You know, the mom, it's just mom shaming is what it is. You know, people who are anti sleep training and who come after me on my Instagram and who send me DMs that are so nasty they're just mom shaming is what they're doing because they disagree with the way that my clients and the way that uh, the way that I parent and the way that my clients parent and they're they're trying to shame my clients and that's the issue that I have with it you know like if they don't want to sleep train their kids that's fine yeah i know i had i i i'm not in the business but i once <laughs> tweeted something about crying it out and I, this girl man she came after me like i was the most yeah. neglectful parent on the face of the earth and i was like i'm actually a much better parent now because i'm sleeping more and i like yeah. during the daytime waking hours of my children's life I'm a nicer parent and happier and better person to be around because I I did get them to sleep. But um, I think totally. that might be the only person I ever blocked on Twitter. <laughs> and let me and let me tell you something. I support those parents that are all like uh, those those like anti sleep training parents. They come to me when their kids are two, three, four, five, six years old. And, and their kids still aren't sleeping. And they hit a breaking point eventually, mm, too. Mm -hmm. And and they come to me and I support them through gentle techniques or, or, or you know, whatever gradual approaches. And and they they hit the end of their rope, just like all other parents. And they realize that and, and none of them regret teaching their kids to sleep. That's the ironic thing is like none of them, whether they teach it super young or when their babies when their babies turn to toddlers or preschoolers they always realize like oh god that's so much better i should have done that a long time ago you know um but but people have to get there on their own and i most certainly am not chasing after people telling them how to raise their kids yes yes there's no there's no one right way so you all do what what you feel right but if you want to use these tips i think they're wonderful we are going to cover toddler sleep in another episode because clearly there's just literally no time to get into all of it today there's so many different things so um jane's going to come back on for another episode on toddler sleep which i have actually found more frustrating than baby sleep at times yeah it can be for sure for <laughs> because sure. they can manipulate you and really uh really talk you into things when they're three and four and they uh have all those words <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like little negotiators, right? Little mini dictators. Oh, you're suddenly hungry at 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so tell us real quick, though, about your sleep consultant certification program. I love seeing uh, entrepreneurs like find what they're passionate about but realize, oh, there's so so much of a need for this. I can train other people to do it. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I love talking about this. So, um yeah, when I first started my business, I never intended to be like a serious businesswoman. This was just something that I was doing as an outlet for myself. It was a passion project. If I made a little money here and there, that was fabulous. But I was never trying to like build an empire or anything. Um, my my business took off pretty quickly, and I was having so much fun with it. And I what I realized is that there was a little bit of a hole in the market. Um, there are plenty of certification courses out there if you want to become a certified sleep consultant. But what I noticed is that they were lacking in one major thing, and that is support. Um, these programs, they teach you what you need to know to be a sleep consultant, but then they sort of like send you on your way. And, and starting a business when you are, especially as, as a woman, I think can feel really lonely and women like to team up and feel supported and feel encouraged. And, and none of that was going on that I could see um, in other programs. So I decided to create my own sleep consultant certification program where I train, mentor, and certify others to do the work that I do. And I really take pride in coaching these women 
through the process of launching and growing their businesses. So we have a Facebook community where we all hang out together and everybody asks questions and chimes in with answers and we support one another. And it's just sort of a level of camaraderie and community that I don't think exists elsewhere in the market. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. And it's really awesome and incredibly rewarding to see these women launch and grow their businesses. I always say like, if there's one thing better than getting babies to sleep through the night, it's helping an entrepreneur, a mompreneur start her own business. It's really, really cool. That's so cool. And it's, you're looking at it as community and camaraderie rather than competition. Yeah, I have right now, I think I have 115, 16 ladies in the program. And a lot of them have become fast friends. They've joined, they've formed these little offshoot splinter groups where they're, you know, holding each other accountable in their businesses and brainstorming different ways to expand their businesses. And it's just like a really awesome community. And, you know, I always say that each time a new person enrolls in my program, my course just gets better because whatever they bring to our community is something that we didn't have previously. So, you know, I have full-time working, I have teachers, I have therapists, I have a lot of postpartum doulas, I have newborn care specialists, I have um, parents of special needs needs kiddos, um, I have breastfeeding educators. So I have a really diverse group of women in my program. And every time somebody new joins, it's like, it gets that much better. That's so awesome. I love it. Thank you. Okay. What is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? So professionally, I don't have a good answer because honestly, I have already done so many things that I never even thought I would have been doing a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. So I just sort of keep surprising myself. And rather than like setting these lofty goals, I just like keep plugging along and seeing where this business takes me, you know? Um, So I don't know about professionally, but personally, I, my kids are eight and four and my house looks like a daycare a little bit like with just <laughs> toys everywhere and I really am ready to like start turning my house into a grown-up house and yes. like my dining room is my kids art room and I'm really excited to hopefully in the next couple of years turn it into a dining room um so personally that's that's a major goal of mine it's like to get my house in order man I am the queen of purging everything like literally every weekend so if you need any advice for, or if you need emotional support of just getting rid of things, let me know. <laughs> so I'm actually, so I'm actually really good at that. Like our trash truck comes on Tuesdays. So like Mondays I go around with trash bags and just like throw everything out that I, yes. I can find. So I'm actually really good at throwing things out, but just like it never ends. It never There's ends. always more. Even and... if you don't feel like you're personally a big consumer, like grandparents buy things and it's just birthday parties happen and it's just like it all adds up it just keeps coming in right I mean my son is eight and he has baseball cards and hockey cards everywhere and I just want to like reclaim my space and you know send the kids down to the basement already I know like the card thing my kids aren't doing the baseball cards but they like come and go with these Pokemon card phases and I'm like yeah how is Pokemon cards still a thing? But also like you guys don't even play with these. You don't do anything with them. And so I find myself they're just everywhere. In your they're house, just everywhere. Right? You find them in yeah. every corner of every closet and every room. You're like, why are, why are these even here? And if, if we do have Pokemon cards, why can't they all stay in the same place? I have no idea, but I can relate. Oh man. Um, what's the best, most recent book you've read? So I don't read a ton. Um, I don't. I don't have time. But the last book that I read was Danielle Bernstein's "This Is Not a Fashion Story." Hmm. And do you know Danielle Bernstein? She's a like an Instagram influencer, well, fashion like person. I think of when I think of Bernstein, I think of Gabby Bernstein. I think no, okay, I don't. Danielle. Who's Gabby Bernstein? Danielle, yeah, look up Danielle Bernstein. Okay. she's she's an Instagram sort of like fashion influencer. And she wrote a book and it's half like juicy gossip about her growing up and like coming of age story and half like business 
mogul, cool, entrepreneurial type stuff. And I really enjoyed it. For somebody who doesn't read, it was great. Okay. I'm looking at her profile right now. She doesn't have a description on it. So I'm like, what do you do? Just fashion? Yeah, she's just famous. I don't know. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That sounds like a fun book. Yeah, it was great. What's a kid's book that you recommend? So... When I think of like baby books, the first thing that comes to mind is this book called Baby Be Kind. It's just like a really sweet book that we read to both of my kids when they were infants, all about like, be kind to your friends and share your stuff and whatever. And it's just short and sweet. And I love that book. Um, My four-year-old is really into this book called Don't Push the Button, Mm. which is like, you know, you tell them not to push the button and then they push the button and all these things happen. It's, It's a fun sort of interactive little book. And then my eight-year-old is reading these books called like who is or, or what is, and you know, it's, it's all nonfiction. So like who is Serena Williams? Who is Wayne Gretzky? What is the Bermuda triangle? You know? Um, And he's really into learning. He doesn't want to read nonfiction. He wants to like learn about stuff. Mm. So he loves those and we like can't get enough of them. I feel like he's read almost all of them. And then I have no idea I'm going to need a suggestion for what to move on to after that. I love that. I have a hard time getting my oldest to read and he's the only one that can read fluently yet anyway, but I'm like, he doesn't love to read like I love to read, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe I need to, I mean, it's, oh, that's what the teachers say, right? The, the book that's just right for you, your just right book. So maybe I need to look in that genre more and try to um, provide him with more books like that. Yeah, my son also likes to read just like sports, you know, like uh-huh. Sports Illustrated for kids. And yeah, my son's teacher says the same thing. Like if he wants to read Sports Illustrated for kids, as long as he's reading. Yeah, so. that's good. Maybe I'll do that. Um, okay, what's your last message you'd like to leave our audience with today? Yeah, so I guess I would say that like parenting is really hard and overwhelming and that like seeking support shouldn't be something that you feel shameful about or it it doesn't mean that you're like you're any less than you know I would argue that like it's it's really an amazing quality in a parent to be able to say I need help and I need support and so I encourage all parents and I try to do this myself too I try to surround myself with professional support and just like friend support. Right. And we can't do it all alone. And, you know, they say it takes a village and find your village and, and, and lean on people and programs and whatever it is that you need to feel like you're the best parent that you can be. It's the growing theme of this podcast. Ask for help if you need help. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. You're welcome. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jane, for coming on the podcast. Make sure you all connect with Jane over on Instagram. She is snoozefest by Jane Havens over there. That's Jane with a Y, J-A-Y-N-E. And check out all that she has to offer with her sleep consulting services. You can find this podcast on Instagram. We are why is everyone yelling over there. Make sure you check out our Facebook group as well. And you can connect with me personally. I am lindsayhines626 on Instagram. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Prevenex, for supporting this podcast. Go to Prevenex.com. Get your family some protein powder, some Supervites. Use the code Lindsay15 for 15% off your order. Thank you, friends, for being here. We will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?